hi. Here we are. <laughs> we are here. We wanted to thank you all for sticking with us. This is our last episode, but we definitely have appreciated everyone out there listening. We appreciate our family at the Community Library Network and all of our patrons. This would not have been possible without you. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm at the uh, the Oscars, like handing out a, an acceptance speech a little bit. Thank you to our real families as well because yes. they probably made up a lot of the <laughs> listens they have yes yeah so we're bringing an end to the podcast who knows what the future holds but our run as the arguing <laughs> co-host the bickering redheads is coming Ooh, it's coming to a close <laughs> But just because we are coming to a close does not mean the library is coming to a close. The libraries are still around, providing all of the materials and information that you need. So please check us out. Please check out the website, communitylibrary.net, to find out what sorts of events and resources we have for you. There are tons. Mm-hmm. We're jam-packed with cool stuff. Yep. Um, go out there and talk to people about books and movies. Until the next time we chat with you, happy reading. Happy watching. The book isn't necessarily better. Presented by the Community Library Network in North Idaho. My name is Roxanne. I'm Michaela. And we have two very special guests with us today. You could say they're both significant to us. (laughs) (laughs) They are our husbands. What's happening? (laughs) We have Ryan Labar. Yep. Who is my husband. Sure am. And Vic Kittlestead, who is mine. Howdy, howdy. And why are they here? (laughs) Great question. I'm pretty sure they're here because they like this much more than we do. All right. So, and this is what we're talking about. The book and the movie. Dune, where's my car? I had Masters of the Duneverse. (laughs) That's a low-hanging fruit jokes in this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, welcome, guys. So the reason you are both here is because the entire time Michaela and I have been doing this podcast, (laughs) both of you have expressed a deep interest to talk about this movie. I did not want to talk about this movie. (laughs) But here we are. So let's start with a biography of the author... Frank Herbert. Nick, take it away. You actually wanted I thought you found all the notes, smarty pants. Oh, I mean, I had some of them. Uh, Yeah, I've got some vague notes. Uh, Oh, you guys' notes are pretty detailed. Uh, My notes. Yeah. So Frank Herbert is a a local. Uh, He was born in Tacoma, Washington in in the year 1920, uh, oldie. Some fun stuff about him. Uh, When he was very young, he ran away from home to live with his aunt and uncle in, uh, in Salem, Oregon. He served in the Navy as a photographer during World War II uh, before he was medically discharged for a uh, head injury. Uh, And then primarily before Dune was published, he worked as a a writer for magazines and and newspapers, uh, occasionally getting short stories published, uh, things in science fiction journals and and whatnot before writing his uh, magnum opus, Dune, uh, which I believe was serialized 
first and then was published as a novel uh, later in 1965. When you say serialized, like in a bunch of like those magazines, like sci-fi yeah, magazines. So exactly. Very L. Ron Hubbard style. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would they have been in the same circles, do you think? I don't know. L. Ron Hubbard was with other <laughs> sci-fi guys, but I don't really know who his buddies were. He was busy making stuff up and making soup out of ketchup. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I read a list of the buddies and it never mentioned L. Ron Hubbard. Okay. So okay. I think L. Ron Hubbard was hanging out with like Aleister Crowley. A little, <laughs> you know, bit, a little yeah. bit different crowd. Yeah, a little bit of a <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. more no. heavy metal crowd. Yeah. <laughs> is he still alive? He is super dead. Oh, okay. uh, he died in 1986. Nice. Yes. So he lived to see the David Lynch version. Unfortunately, he did. <laughs> but he liked it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I found a quote that said he liked it. He well, was good with it. Well, that makes him the only person. Terrible for him. <laughs> I'll just tack on, was also inducted into the Science Fiction Hall of Fame in 2006, so posthumously. And if you go to Tacoma at Point Defiance Park, in the last couple of years, they have put in a Dune Peninsula and a Frank Herbert Trail. Wow. Visit. Cool. Is it Sandy? <laughs> Maybe. In I don't Tacoma, know. probably not. <laughs> yeah, but do you think they put the sand on it? The spice was slow. <laughs> I can add a few more things about him. On his eighth birthday, Frank stood on top of the breakfast table at his family home and announced, I want to be an author. Wow. That is from DuneNovel.com. <laughs> it seems precocious. Yeah. He also studied at the University of Washington, but never graduated. And he came up with the idea of Dune when he was walking along the Oregon coastline in Florence, Oregon. Because mm-hmm. it's sandy. <laughs> And there are dunes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dune was rejected by publishers 23 times, but it sold over 20 million copies and has been printed in a dozen languages. And do you know who originally published Dune? I do. Because I researched. Who? The, the Chilton people. Yeah. So, so we're at the library. Chilton makes these auto repair manuals that we have on reference. Good. Wow. For like Toyota? Like yeah. Like 1998 <laughs> Toyota. Yes. V70. They, they are the ones that said Yes. Yeah. This is the one. Yeah. Wow. Somebody's nephew, I bet, worked there. I was like, I like science fiction. Was a mega nerd. Okay. Yeah. Uh, quick plug: We do have Chilton online, so if you need to fix your car, you can find all the specs online. Or your spaceship. Or your spaceship. Or your sandworm. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Did you know that Dune won the first Nebula Award in 1966? Mm-hmm. Well deserved. Yeah. Some of us might think so. <laughs> Oh, and and like I said before, this is a rare time that the author really liked an adaptation. So he liked Lynch's Dune. He, but he had also worked as a consultant. So I think the problem is that I think that movie came out in '84, which was the same year as Second Life died. I think he was in a really bad place. Didn't really realize what he was watching. <laughs> uh, that's the only way I can justify having that opinion. He okay. called it a quote visual feast. Oh my god! Oh, yes. that's funny because literally everybody else thought the visuals were. Terrible. Really? Yes. Okay, well, let's okay. let's put a pin in that. Is there a dune pin? Oh, just a cr- put a Christ knife in that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's talk about the synopsis of the book. What is sure. it about? So uh, the masterpiece that is Dune tells the story of House Atreides. Uh, they are one of many feudal houses uh, in the Galactic Emperor. Uh, the Padishah Emperor Saddam IV orders that House Atreides 
go uh, become the caretakers for Arrakis, which is the planet Dune, uh, which is basically where all spice is mined. And spice does many different things. Uh, it allows for intergalactic travel. Uh, it gives people prescience and foresight, gives a lot of great things. It basically is like the, the most important export in the galaxy. Uh, the purpose of sending the Atreides to this planet is uh, to weaken them against the Harkonnens. The Emperor is fearful of the power of the House of Atreides, uh, and so he sends them there basically to double-cross them. And the story primarily revolves around Paul uh, Atreides. It's sort of a coming-of-age story for Paul Atreides uh, as he becomes the Quizax Hadarak, uh, and many other great titles that we'll talk about along the way. Uh, basically, he is a quote-unquote chosen one uh, in so much as that is what uh, people have told him that he is. Whether he is or not, I guess, is up for debate. It basically tells the story of, of Paul uh, learned coming to power on the planet Arrakis, interacting with the Fremen, who were basically the indigenous people of Arrakis, uh, and uh, sticking it to the emperor. Can I simplify a lot? Yes, please. Take, take Harry from Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Instead of magic, he got spice. Instead of brooms, he got worms. Yeah. And okay. uh, well loved by a previous generation of guys that look like you and I. That's and, true. And how would that look? What do you mean? Slim, very attractive, uh, fit, very, uh, very, very um, forceful. Yeah. Well loved by the community. Absolutely. Um, we don't go to breweries very often, but when we do, we just have one. Yeah. Please tell the listening audience, what age were you both when you discovered Dune and why did you love it so much and why do you love it so much? Uh, I first read all the books when I was in high school. And I think that the cool thing about Dune as a quote unquote science fiction story is it doesn't really feature a lot of the same tropes as other science fiction. There's no computers. Uh, the space travel is, is very limited. There's no robots or anything. And it's, it's, it's very much more fantasy, I, I, uh, akin to fantasy. Uh, and the world is just very big. It deals with a lot of complex issues. It was smarter than a lot of other sci-fi fantasy that I had read up to that point. And it just sort of has this like flowing uh, narrative over the course of the series that's, that's very engrossing. Oh, totally. Because it's really, there's no computers. Right. There, there's uh, Mentats. Mm -hmm. like, it's like a human being that a computer, it's like a Lobot from Star Wars. It's like, you can just ask him, like, what are my odds of winning this hand in cards? And he can tell you in two seconds what it is. Like a librarian. Exactly. Yes, I was waiting <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Nice. Um, but it, it's really the fact that it was unique. I, I got into it when I was in middle school. I actually listened to the book on tape. It was fantastic for my library in Northfield, Minnesota, where I grew up. Like actual cassette? It was cassette. It was nice. in one of those plastic binders that smelled like a library. Oh, heck yeah. And I played this on like road trips to South Dakota. And the thing that blew me away was this whole idea of living in the desert and getting like all of your water back. It kind of horrified me, but it was so interesting. The idea of like wearing a suit that reclaims your water so that you can survive in a really aggressive place. And these are called still suits. Still right? suits, yes. Hey, I got one. And it wasn't there. Oh, there's also no guns really. No. It's all like swords and like rockets and like it's this weird high low tech kind of mix mm -hmm. that like made me go. Mm. And I imagine that would be Mama Labar. 
approved on a road trip. She's my mother, Carolyn, um, was more into that than like weird horror books that I would find at the library yeah. as well. Yeah, but I mean so. the no guns thing. She would have been correct. Yes, on board with that. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about <laughs> all of those things you're talking about is they're not. There's not no computers because in 1965 they had no conception of computers. There's no computers because Frank Herbert predicted that computers would become too intelligent and would think for human beings and therefore like devalue the intelligence of human beings. So he's actually not only predicted computers, but then also predicted our uh, need to get rid of them to better evolve as human beings. And, and same thing with the, the las guns, as they're called. Uh, a lot of things that he kind of came up with and predicted and then removed from the sci-fi, which I think is kind of interesting, especially in 1965. So in this universe, the human beings like you said, had computers and that technology and then they decided to get rid of it? Yeah, during this thing called, I think it's called the Butlerian Jihad. Uh, They basically rebelled against what they call thinking machines uh, to get rid of all computers because there's, like he mentioned, Mentats already. There's this religious sect called the Bene Gesserit uh, and everybody kind of thinks that they're witches uh, because they have powers that they don't understand, but they're actually just evolved human beings that have like developed the powers of the mind over generations and generations of selective breeding. Uh, and so there's yeah a lot of really interesting, interesting things. But yes, they rebelled against the machines. Again, that sounds like librarians. <laughs> the true power in the in the universe, librarians. Thank you. Des- desert power and book power. There you go. Yes. <laughs> so and online resources <laughs> at the Community Library Network. Uh, have you read Dune, Roxanne? Heck no. Heck no. <laughs> okay. Um, I have, but I've only read the first one. How many are there? Well, there's six that Frank Herbert wrote. There's many, many more that his son wrote after yes, he died. With someone else. Was Frank Herbert a nice man? That we know of, or I mean, he had a nice beard. He was very into the environment. I don't know how he treated his wife or anything, but uh... I, I don't know. I haven't found anything that said he wasn't. Apparently, he had a really nice relationship with his second wife. She was a writer as well, like an advertising yeah. writer, mm-hmm. and they worked together a lot. Well, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Just like us right now. Should we take a quick break to talk about how long? You two have been married. Uh, We've been married for almost five years and together for 10. And how has Dune played into your relationship? (laughs) Uh, Dune has has really caused a rift this last year. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh. (laughs) When we first saw it, she said, I didn't like that at all. When we watched it the other day, she said it was good. Yeah, because I did crosswords the whole time. When I can watch it at home and I can do crosswords Mm -hmm. while I'm watching the movie, it's much better. Yeah, I thought you liked it, Michaela. I thought it was fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's about as good as it gets. I I have some (laughs) opinions about it. So, okay. Ryan and I have been together 10 years and married since... 2017? So what? Four four years? Mm -hmm. So about the same time period. Similar, except (laughs) I was more of a baby when we watched it this weekend. <laughs> Tell us what that was like, Roxanne. What was it like? I was I was snarky. So it, we started on Saturday night. I was snarky and then I went to bed early. <laughs> so I did not like it. Next day, I apologized for, for not being nice about a childhood love of yours. And so we did try it again and then I fell asleep. <laughs> nice. 
And I woke up during the credits like, what happened? <laughs> Is this because of your whole blanket, I hate sci-fi thing? I don't hate all sci-fi. I do hate most fantasy, and I know that this is sci-fi, not fantasy. And you hate epic things. And I hate epic things. Yet you love historical fiction. Not all. Not or do you, all. Well, you love history in general, which is often epic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the sort of history like that's close to my heart is the non-epic kind. Like, how have toasters evolved? <laughs> or like, how has the have, human mind evolved? Yeah, how have family uni- units changed? So I just, you know, an epic journey does not, not my cup of tea. Mm. I, I, would, I would call it a discerning reader. <laughs> so, Ryan, I would like to apologize on the podcast. I was not very nice oh, of course. when we watched it, but I see why you like it. And yeah. it won a lot of Oscars. So, it did. in high school, I was in one advanced class where we were all able to pick a book. It was 18 kids. We all picked a book. Every kid then got all of the books, and we read those books over the entire semester. And I picked Dune. And about out of the 18, four were super into it, and everybody else was upset. So, <laughs> Having very, to read it? Very upset. Oh. Yes. What was so. the worst book somebody else picked for you? Um, so there's a book called Treason by Anne Colter that I really didn't enjoy reading. Okay. So that was fun. Okay. But you could find that at the Community Library Network. You could. <laughs> so much chilling. I know. Shameless. Yeah. But it, it Dune is really the thing that I, I think to echo what you said earlier, it's unique. It's not another like Marines in space and there's weird aliens or uh, you know, it, it's not like a big epic movie that just lives off of the technology. It actually is story driven. It's it is a hero's journey, I would say, which sure. is kind of overplayed. But there's lots of really mature characters that get brought in, and that's the part that makes it worthwhile. Especially because while it is while it has the like narrative structure of a hero's journey. Paul is arguably not a hero, uh, especially going into to Dune Messiah. Like he becomes a godhead and a figurehead, but he's ultimately like a negative presence in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting, again, flipping even that part. The hero's journey is kind of flipped that Paul is not really a hero. Right. The script you done flipped it. Right. <laughs> okay. Can I bring up something? So as I was watching, I'm like, oh, this is Star Wars. Oh. Absolutely. So, what did he <laughs> steal from Dune? What did George Lucas steal? A lot of sand. Yeah, I was like, oh, it's Tatooine. Well, yeah. shocker, it's easier to shoot there, right? <laughs> like, you don't have to hide ferns and moss and pine trees. It's just sand, and then you can CG or scope in whatever you want, and there's your alien planet. Yes. So yeah, he definitely stole the sand. There's plenty of similarities between the Bene Gesserit and the Jedi. Lots of similarities there. Obviously similarities between the Galactic Empire. Frank Herbert did not come up with the idea of a Galactic Empire accord. Apparently that was the uh, brainchild of Isaac Asimov. But yeah, so there's there's plenty of big picture stuff for sure that, that made its way into Star Wars. I thought it was cool that there are a lot of strong female characters in Dune. And also it did make me think like the mother and son journey about this really cool famous cult movie just kidding called Guilt Trip <laughs> starring Barbara Streisand mm. and Seth Rogen that came out a couple years ago it's basically the same yeah do you yeah. think that they were inspired by Dune mm-hmm. yeah like very likely yeah I'd say it's heavily unlikely that they were not <laughs> 
let's talk movies. So let's. There's m- several, and they're they're all super good. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, let's start with the 1984, which is closest to Star Wars, and is it better than Star Wars? So what? Wait, sorry, was there nothing before that adaptation wise? No. Not that I know of. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, there's a, there's an interesting movie that you can watch called Jodorowsky's Dune uh, about him trying and failing to make what looked to be, in my opinion, an even worse vi- version than the David Lynch one. But <laughs> I guess that's up to your interpretation. That may have been earlier than 84. Uh, I don't know. But the one that actually came out, this is the earliest one. All right. I'll, I'll dive in on this one. Take it. I have nothing nice to say. I don't, I don't either. I'm just going to tell you that it came out in 1984, and that's the nicest thing I can say about it. Wow. Um, it's, it was written and directed by David Lynch. It uh, made $9.1 million less than it cost to make it, Oh, even though it had the largest movie budget of all time up to that point, which is crazy. Um, David Lynch later pretended like he had nothing to do with it. Smart. He uh, removed his name from Yeah, that. took his name from really. Yeah. Yeah, um, because it is bad. It's real bad. One fun connection to Star Wars, though. Uh, <laughs> David Lynch was asked by George Lucas to direct Return of the Jedi. He declined to direct Return of the Jedi and opted instead to make this masterpiece of a movie. Uh, so imagine? good for him. Could you imagine? <laughs> Very weird. That's like Nicolas Cage being Superman. Yeah. Bad. Like, <laughs> super bad idea. <laughs> like, super bad, like, super bad. No, uh, like, this super is super awful. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a quote from David Lynch about Dune 1984. Uh, he stated that he has zero interest in the new Dune from 2021. He cited that, it, this is Frank, IMDb quote he cited that his issues with the new movie have nothing to do with the director but with his own painful memories of making the 1984 version quote because it was a heartache for me it was a failure and I didn't have a final cut I wait because it was a heartache for me it was a failure and I didn't have a final cut I've told this story a billion times it's not the film I wanted to make I like certain parts of it very much but it was a total failure for me Herb. He's, he's not wrong. Yeah. No. Why is it so bad? It, it's <laughs> where to start. <laughs> this is the one where the guy just has a pug. Yeah. yeah okay. So guy has a pug. It, that part's cool. That's the only part. <laughs> pug in space. Yeah. Really cool. yeah. Oh. Um, like, and then it disappears. Yeah. My problem watching it the other day is like. They do this weird thing that we were trying to brainstorm and think, have we ever seen this in another movie? And I couldn't think of of an example where the characters say their thoughts in voiceover the entire movie. Like every character will just start thinking something out loud. And it's very weird, but it's like the most obvious thoughts ever. Like, (laughs) oh, that guy doesn't seem nice. Or, oh, why do I feel this weird way? Like, they're not anything interesting. It's like very basic things that the actors are already acting. And then they're like, wait, I don't think the performance is coming across. We need to do extra voiceover. Very, And it happens all throughout the movie. And it is terrible. It's very bad. You know, I can only think of actually a similarity to 
Superman when Lois Lane has oh. the very weird voiceover of her thoughts when they're flying to It is a little bit like that. And it's this super weird monologue. <laughs> this really seems like something that was pitched in the writer's room. Like, this will add, like, another layer of mistake and interest. <laughs> and really, it just makes you angry and upset. Yeah. yeah. It's not good. Yeah. No, it's bad. Uh, the shields that they have are, <laughs> like, the worst visual effect I've ever seen. This Literally laughable, Nick. They're square. <laughs> they put them in, like, these weird square boxes. They kind of look like, so the kids at the library like to play this game called Minecraft. It does look exactly like uh, They basically just look like the Minecraft, like they're boxy, they've okay. got like square heads, but you can like see stuff through them. They're so weird. But yeah, it reminded me a lot of Minecraft. So thanks yeah. kids, I learned something. Even for 1984, the visual effects don't hold up. I don't know what they spent all their money on in this movie, but Star Wars in 1977 looked infinitely better than this movie and cost a lot less. So I don't know. I can't explain it. I, it's, it's a horrible movie. I don't mm-hmm. know what else to say. Why do you think it's bad, Ryan? I mean, I haven't gotten through all of it because I got so upset watching it. And this was maybe <laughs> 15 years ago. I can relate. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and so it just wasn't the story. I, also, I think I watched the miniseries first. Mm-hmm. And then I went backwards in time to watch this and got upset. So I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's already been done better. Uh Okay. Okay. My last thing I'll say about it is just that it was, like, gross. There there were a lot of things in it that just, like, made me not feel very good in my stomach. Um, Just, like, people with... I get that, like, the Harkonnen guy is supposed to be gross. He's got, like, open sores and, like, boils and, like, weird stuff. But, like, he's literally, like, spitting on people and, like... (laughs) just like draining gross like blood stuff out of people and there's like weird womb shots of his no. little sister and like that I don't know there's just a bunch of stuff in this movie that I made me gag it was gross do you think he was a precursor to Job of the Hut? Mm. Eh, not I really so. no, no. no. Okay. D- different things yeah those are just two people that are very large okay. <laughs> I think that's where their similarities it's begin and end large in stature yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do some facts about the David Lynch version Mm-hmm. When it came out in theaters, patrons were given a glossary list, you know, to read in the dark mm. nice. right. uh, to help understand the movie, because apparently it'd be impossible without first reading the book. Is that true? I, no, no, I don't think so. It's easier if you've read the book. To be fair, though, this because it was so new, like I, I think a lot of people knew the book. Maybe they're going into the movie. You're bringing in people that have never seen a movie like this. So they're 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 wanting to see a movie that is very uh, concise and easy to understand. I can understand the idea of let's give them a cheat sheet to help them enjoy this more. But you should give it a little flashlight and maybe just have everybody watch it at home. <laughs> I think with this specific one, because so like the new one, they've cut the book essentially in half. With this old one, it's not only shorter than the new one, but they condense the entire book into the movie. They streamline the narrative so much that it's basically just a story of boy goes to planet, boy takes drugs, boy is superpowered, end of movie. Like, they've cut out all of really any of the, like, overarching mythology or any of the other themes. So, in that respect, I don't think you need a a glossary. It's fairly easy to follow. Guy goes to the desert. 
aka Paul's Weekend in San Francisco. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Also, his name's Paul. Yeah, you, you, that People was part of, fun of we're watching the movie and, and he gets introduced and Roxanne pauses and goes, his name is Paul. <laughs> There's a guy in space named Paul. In his defense, they almost never call him Paul. He's got, he's like Daenerys Targaryen. He has 150 other titles, so. Yeah. Paul. What's up, y'all? It's Paul. His mom, Jessica. Lady Jessica, please. <laughs> yeah, put some respect on her name. <laughs> Uh, Kyle McLaughlin was cast in Dune when he was an unknown. And then because he worked with Lynch on Dune, that led to his casting in Twin Peaks. And Helena Bonham Carter was supposed to play Princess Irulan. Yeah. But she couldn't get out of filming a room with a view. Mm. Good for her. Yeah, she made the right choice. (laughs) Dodged a bullet. So, should we talk about... So, what came between 1984? What came next? I believe it was the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like a three-part or four-part movie on HBO or when did that Showtime. I think it was in the early 2000s. I think 2000. Right. Yeah. It was not great. Um, <laughs> the video effects were better. The casting, there was lots of like awkward pauses and staring at each other. I remember, especially nice. between uh, Paul and the uh, Freeman woman that, that is played by um, in the new movie. Zendaya. Yeah. Lots of like awkward staring back and forth. Um, the visual effects were much better. <clears throat> it still was not good. I can't remember anything else other than I really hope they make a good movie out of this. <laughs> Any thoughts? I have not that. seen it. No. Okay. So that brings us up to today. This is very relevant. This just happened. Yes. Uh, the 2021 Dune film. Tell me what's what's great or not so great about it. Okay, I gotta go first. Please. <laughs> Denny Veneuve. Oh my gosh. The guy, I mean, you can't get a more high-powered director to do this. He did Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner, and uh, Arrival. I think he's going to do Arrival 2. They don't arrive. Electric <laughs> Yeah. Um, and the thing I noticed about this guy is he's he's French-Canadian. That, that's is that not, why you like him? No. Well, yes. Ryan Labar. Yeah. He's he's uncompromising. He, he figures out color palettes, and then he applies them to scenes and to narratives and to characters in a way that I haven't seen done in a lot of other media that is useful. It's a narrative tool by itself. So you've got like the story, you've got the the theme thematic music. You've also got the color palette that he's using as a way to kind of mix the story together. And it's like, hmm. <laughs> you can also tell one of his movies a mile away. Absolutely. By what? Everything. I mean, the sound <laughs> effects, the, the fully effects, the, the the score and the way he I mean, the shots he does are always these. He doesn't do shaky cam stuff, really. He does very purposeful camera movements. And I've always really appreciated about that in his movies. Hmm. Good. Well, I it makes sense that you called out the things he does perfectly because the Academy uh, motion pictures agreed with you. It just went well, some... kind of. They didn't nominate him for best director, so right. That's <laughs> true. Much. That's true. But they did <laughs> like the sum of the parts, so yeah. <laughs> it it did it won for at this Oscars that just happened. Uh, best score for Hans Zimmer, who I know is one of your favorites. Right. And what else has he done? Uh, I think he did Black Hawk Down. He did uh, Gladiator. He did. I mean. He's not like he's not like my OG like Bear McCreary, but he's very very good. 
he won his last Oscar for The Lion King. Really? He did. He did the music for The Lion King. That the that soundtrack slaps. So no, the cartoon. The actual. Okay, yeah. good. Nice. The Elton John <laughs> songs are only good in that movie because of Hans Zimmer. I will fight people to the death on that opinion. Okay. Yeah. I disagree. All right. He also it also won for best visual effects, best cinematography, best editing, best production design, and best sound. It only lost in best picture to Coda. It lost. Best makeup and hair, so not only lost, but it lo- <laughs> in addition, it lost to Best Picture to Coda. Best makeup and hairstyling to The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is fantastic. You should see it. Best costume design and best adapted screenplay. I'll throw in a, a word for Coda, too. It's a fantastic is it good? film. It is wonderful. Cool. Yeah, we'll see it. Yeah. Um, did you know that Hans Zimmer created new instruments for the score and he wrote a new language for the choral arrangements? He absolutely did. Oh, That's one of the coolest things about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so his whole idea was that he was, I, I've heard him talk in interviews about how like he he never really understood how in like futuristic sci-fi movies there would be like these big symphonic scores of like horns and violins. He's like, they wouldn't have used those instruments. Those instruments wouldn't exist. So uh, we'll carry over the voice because that's something that would happen, but we'll make all new instruments, which I think is very interesting. He's always trying interesting new things. Instead of just being like, it'll all be synth. Right. <laughs> yeah. One, one thing I absolutely loved about the visuals in this movie, so <clears throat> I'm going to get this wrong and people in the audience are going to get upset, but I was listening to an interview about two different uh, people in the VFX industry working on full-scale replicas for Star Wars and Star Trek around a common work table. And they were both like, I'm doing a Star Wars project. All ships in the Star Wars universe have five panels. All ships in the Star Star Trek universe have three panels. What do you, like, what do you mean by panels? <clears throat> but uh, they're called greeblies in the business. It's like the little <laughs> things that go on the outside of the model to give the model character, right? Okay. So, like, in Star Wars, I think it's five, and, like, every third or fourth one is broken because there's no money in that universe. So you're telling a story by the props, the little details you're making. Like, the Millennium Falcon is... <clears throat> right, there's, like, five little panels, all events, and it's then like one of them's junk, right? messed up. Yeah. Where in Star Trek, it's, like, there's three that are perfect and they're symmetrical, and it helps reinforce the kind of story you're telling. Because Star Trek universe is well-funded. Exactly. And in Dune... <laughs> It's like, get rid of all that. Everything is massive. Like, if you looked at all the ships in it, the scale of all of this, it's like a ship that's the size of a state is coming out of a ship that's the size of a planet, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but the point is the scale is so massive that you can't even understand and comprehend. And I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, for sure. I told Michaela when we were walking out of it that I can't remember ever feeling in a movie, especially in a sci-fi movie, the scale of yes. all that stuff. Like the ships, you can't even imagine how big they are until you like see this movie. There's that one shot where like the Spice Guild navigator ship like stops above above Arrakis and all the little tiny ships are coming out of it. Sure. And they're all like this big compared to this enormous thing. Even when you look at like the Death Star, the Death Star looks right. like a soccer ball compared yeah. to the stuff that's in this movie. It's like you're shaking Tic Tacs out of like uh, like like a I don't know a football right and like the Tic Tacs are the size of like you know the GDP of America right it's just <laughs> it's so big and you can't even understand how big For it sure. is totally yeah. what what other scale analogies could we make <laughs> well I mean it's like it's like it's it's like a matchbox but filled with ants yeah 
but I really truly enjoyed that because it, it's different. It's not just you know, and and what's cool about that is it celebrates the the object and not like the detail. You don't get lost in the minutia of it. You just see the thing. Oh, that's a ship. It's making little ships go down to the ground. That's it. Right. And that's unique to this universe, I would say. Absolutely. To add to that, there's a lot of practical effects. Which, are the movie, best. which I totally appreciate. Real life worms. It cost $165 million to make this movie, and a ton of that movie did go to practical effects. So, for instance, when they are in the sand, they built these giant um, platforms that they covered up with sand that the actors would stand on so that when the worms were arriving, it would sort of shake and make them sink down, and they'd actually get reactions of like, oh! <laughs> And because quicksand is every child's nightmare. Yeah. And I don't you feel like when you're a kid, you think there's going to be like a lot of quicksand situations as an adult? Is I that think, just me? Never. I think Disney movies very much conditioned me to think that was true. Like that at one point I will have to deal with quicksand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lay on your back and try and find a stick. Really? You're welcome. <laughs> but then sometimes it turns out to be a snake. That could be a sticky situation. <laughs> The other thing, I believe the director of photography or the cinematographer, I can't remember which, is on loan from The Mandalorian. So if I remember reading the the article correctly, so you might want to fact check check that. I probably will not. (laughs) Uh, They did film it outside in the desert of Jordan and a little bit of Abu Dhabi. And a lot of the interior sets were built in Budapest. Oh, and the Thropters? Throp? Or Ornithopters. <laughs> yeah. Where they were, they actually built them as like little cabins set on gimbals. So the crew would also like shake them around and scare the actors so that it wasn't just green screen. Right. Nice. Um, Stellan Skarsgård spent about 30% of his time or eight hours a day in makeup. To get ready, he was when he played. That makes sense. Baron Harkonnen. Yes. He said that he liked his look so much that he wanted more scenes of him naked in the movie <laughs> because he was so proud of the prosthetic suit that they put on him. Was that real? That is super. Cool. I loved his like back rig he had that allowed him to float mm-hmm. and move about the cabin. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really delightful. He's so gross. <laughs> like when he just decides, I'm just going to take a second to float for my subjects really high to to intimidate you. Remember that you you would look down for a second and there's Skarsgård floating up, just being weird, up like ten feet in the air, and you looked at him and you went, "Oh my god, what is this guy?" I'm so mad. Yeah, I was watching that movie. Yeah, and then I I do apologize for when I did have a, try to have a good. At- a good attitude because I just fell asleep. You missed the worm part, though, which I don't think you would have liked. No. That was the whole reason I did not want to see Dune is because of these worms. Like, I never want to see Tremors. I don't want to see a Mad Max Fury Road. It's, like, too much scary stuff. In she doesn't like the pole cast. I was born in Arizona. There's a lot of scary stuff in the desert. You know weird thing about worms? Who likes worms? Well, I don't like worms, but these are, like, hard, crusty, giant worms. Yeah, They're I not, like, like, slimy rain worms. Oh, no, and man. I heard can, space worms. You can hitch out. a ride on them. Like, you can, you can commute no, on them. No, thank you. You can order an Uber Worm XL, and it shows up in five of your friends. <laughs> no. XXL. Yeah. 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 I hate, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> There were over a thousand costumes created for this movie. Great segue. That's so cool. <laughs> they were inspired, inspired by Greek and Roman mythology. 
So what always makes me happy about that is like changing the subject from words. Anytime costumes get made, people in the RPF, the Replica Prop Forum, are just eyeing those things, and eventually they're going to come up and be auctioned off to I don't know who gets the money. Maybe maybe the producers do, but there's going to be people who are like, I'm going to make a still suit, and if I can't buy it, I'm going to make it, <laughs> which is really really exciting for like future prop makers in the next ten years. So, mm-hmm. so how many still suits are well thinking about like Comic Cons? Do there's still come in still suits? Oh sure. my gosh, for sure! And they're like, I can pee in it. <laughs> well, and hopefully drink not. It in an hour. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's like, no, you're just in San Diego. <laughs> Please don't do that. One really good detail was when the emperor's um, what was the name of the emperor's like the the emiss the science officer that's like assigned to Arrakis. Kinds. When she gets stabbed, spoiler alert, she gets <laughs> she done gets stabbed, uh, about to pick up her worm, and the sword goes through her still suit, and you can see this like jet of water fly out. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a nice touch. Hmm. That's like dropping ten dollars on the ground, right? Like Whoa. because their currency is water. Ten dollars. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. They would also judge you in this universe. Oh, I'm sure they would. Yeah. Do we know when the next movie comes out? October of 2023. Oh, yes. It seems really soon. Oh, but this was supposed to come out in 2020, wasn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, it so they've been continually working on it. Yes. But they didn't film it all together like no. they usually do for... Because they were like, we're going to wait and see if this is good or not. And then they got the green lights. So they're like, oh, it's good. <laughs> Some people thought that. So <laughs> Most people besides me thought that. <laughs> I really did not do myself any favors because when you said, is this movie well-loved? And I said, literally everybody I've heard that has seen it has loved it. I have not met a single person that said that Dune movie. I don't know about that. If you, it's like a, it's like a dog whistle. Like it calls only the people who know it to watch it, and then they love it. I don't think you stumble into Dune on a Friday night thinking you're going to go see, you know, Pride and Prejudice. Ah, maybe I'll go see this weird Dune movie. Well, you know, I will say though that I am willing to go outside of my normal viewing genres if it's like this is a critically acclaimed won all the awards kind of movie except I already knew I didn't want to see Dune (laughs) (laughs) but like I'll see like other kinds of movies that I wouldn't necessarily go to if I knew that they were like this is just a good movie you should see it But you haven't watched Game of Thrones. I saw the first episode of my dad and I got so skeeved out that I <laughs> couldn't watch it. No, I've seen other episodes. And I just, it is so not for me. I'm going to say something that's really going to make you mad. Mm. So I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I just sat on YouTube and watched the best of highlights for the entire show. Yeah, that's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what happened to this character? Let's spend 45 minutes just getting to the root of all of this. Yes. No context, nothing. It's that's surprising because people also... We look like a couple who would like board games, and we do not. Yeah. It's sort of like that. People assume that we would like Game of Thrones. You do look like a not. board game couple. Well, the door. We're not. Hmm. You're not. We haven't said who's in this movie, which is kind of crazy. Everyone? Um, everybody. Yep. Yeah. So it's got Timothy Chalamet. who plays Paul. Rebecca Ferguson's in there as Lady Jessica. So I know her from The Girl on the Train, but is she in from anything else? Yeah, she's, very in she's in the last couple Mission Impossible movies. Yep. Okay. Um, which is a big point of contention between Michaela and Is she and the myself. leg lady? She's the leg That's lady. hilarious. What's the contention? Okay, so there's this scene in Mission <laughs> Impossible 5. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson plays this like MI6 agent called Ilsa Faust, uh, and she's like undercover at like this black tie gala. So she's wearing this dress, and there's this moment where she has to like assassinate this guy, or she's got her gun pointed, and in order to 
prop the gun, she puts her elbow on her knee, and her knee is like where the slit in her dress is. So you can like see her leg up, up outside of the dress. And Mikhail's like, oh, it's so unfeminist. They're just doing this to like make her whatever. I'm like, come on, it's practical. It's you can be practical. sexy and practical at the same time. There's no rule against it. That's why wedges were invented. It, thank you. It's My problem is it's not practical because she literally lifts up her entire leg and no. like lays it down. She props it up. What else are you supposed to do with it? Anyway, those, okay, okay. those movies are fantastic. So I'm not saying they're not. I'm just it saying was. they're also a little bit sexist. Anyway, <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson. There's lots of things that are fantastic in The Little Sexes. Like, most movies from the... Like, <laughs> ever. Anytime Sean Connery's on, on set. <laughs> okay. You got Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto. Josh Brolin's in there. Still in Skarsgård. Dave Bautista. Uh, Steve McKinley Henderson. Zendaya. Charlotte Rampling, uh, Jason Momoa, and Javier Bardem. And I've probably missed some too, but that's, there's some big names in there. Jason Momoa looks weird without facial hair. Isn't it weird? I yeah. hate that he doesn't have hair in that design. And the fact that he went from Aquaman to San, San, Sandman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just doesn't really fit. Yeah. Um, Rebecca Ferguson plays Timothy Chalamet's mother. She's only 12 years older than he is. Oh, How funny. old is that man? He's 26 currently. He Nuh-uh. filmed this when he was 23. No yeah, because I asked my He looks like he's 18. Mm-hmm. I know, that's why he gets cast as children a lot. He's supposed mm-hmm. to be 15. In the I'm movie. trying to decide if that says more about Hollywood's treatment of him or Hollywood's treatment of women, and I can't really decide. Treatment of women. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a hard one. Yeah. Well, though, okay. So I went the whole thing. So technically in the book, Jessica had him when she was 20. So she would be like 35 then in the novel. And the actress looks about 35. Okay. I'm fine then. Yeah. Yeah. And he just looks like a baby. He just is. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite headlines from when this movie came out uh, was a negative review of Dune that said, Timothy Chalamet, still more haircut than actor. (laughs) Uh, was one of my favorite headlines. Um, I I don't I don't really get the big whoop about Timothy, but I I don't hate him. He was great in that French Dispatch movie. Who's in that? I, I like him. I think he's going to be a star. He played a pretty good uh, Laurie in Little Women. I was, he's been in a lot of stuff we liked, like that. He was yeah, in that was in Lady uh, Bird, Lady Bird, Bird movie. Call me by my name with a cannibal. You call it call me by thy name. <laughs> call me by my no. name. <laughs> call me by thy name. Yeah, I like him. I think for a long time we were making jokes about how he's contract. Hollywood is contractually obligated to have him in like every film for the last and like, six years. now. Yeah, yep. they've both been yep. in like everything we've seen for yeah. straight up like three years. Mm-hmm. I will say that with this movie, it's hard to judge this movie because it's only half of the book. But this movie also cuts a lot out, a lot of interesting stuff out of the books. Uh, I'm hoping that they start to deal more with the ecological stuff in the second part. That's a huge part of the book. A huge part of the philosophy of Frank Herbert is this idea of how do we interact with our environment? Uh, Obviously, spice is supposed to be sort of a heavy handed metaphor for oil. Uh, Most of the Fremen are like they have Middle Eastern names. Like it's all very uh, much based on on the Middle East. And they don't really talk about it a lot. Like Leah Kynes, who we mentioned earlier, doesn't have a huge part in the movie, but that character has a very large part in the book. They sort of look at him. He's a guy. He's a male in the book. Uh, look at him as a as a god. They keep referring to Liette, which they think is the name of some god because they don't know Dr. Kynes' first name yet. And his whole idea is that he wants to transform the surface, the surface 
of Arrakis to become like this paradise, uh, but it's sort of a Jurassic Park thing. Uh, they can do it, but should they do it? Uh, because it would hypothetically destroy the spice and kill the worms and uh, the Fremen have like adapted to their environment. They're powerful because they have uh, acclimatized to the desert. So there's like a lot of really interesting stuff about environmentalism that the, none of the movies really dive into very much. Uh, so I'm hoping that that plays a bigger part in the the second one. Hmm. Last thoughts, Ryan? Um, <clears throat> I can't wait for it to come out. It looks fantastic. Um, you double know. date? And by that, I mean <laughs> you two can go. <laughs> and Michaela sure. and I will go get Cold Stone. <clears throat> yeah. And watch Burn Prejudice. Heck yeah. 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 No, it's it's going to be good. I'm excited. I don't understand even what the difference between this movie and Pride and Prejudice is. They're basically the same movie. Worms. They, yeah, they, worms they, are too prideful. There are worms <laughs> everywhere in Pride and Prejudice. You just I mean, can't see them. Exactly. I mean, you're never more than about 10 feet away from a worm. Oh, my God. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't you prefer to watch a movie where you can see the worm, you know where it is, as yeah. opposed to Pride and Prejudice, where they're just, like, slinking around all the moors and stuff of England? Yeah. And you'd, you'd rather have the worm you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm good. Yeah, they're rolling around in the grass. Who knows how many worms they're picking up? Okay, get this. Pride and Prejudice, but with worms. Perfect. <laughs> Wearing little Regency dresses. Bridgerton worm edition. Yes, yeah. Anyway, so on that note, <clears throat> yeah, do you guys have recommendations for if people like Dune, what should they read or watch or listen oh, to? Oh, man. I'm sorry, I didn't prepare you for that part. Because usually Michaela does that part. I, yes, I made Nick do it this I time. Pull, I pulled a few... Uh, I, I, I did pull in uh, Foundation by Isaac Asimov. Uh, that was kind of a forerunner to Dune. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, Asimov is credited with coming up with the idea of a galactic empire. Uh, he also was the first sci-fi writer to do lead-ins to each chapter with like excerpts from uh, in-universe histories, uh, which Dune does. Uh, Princess Yerulan is like a historian and she's writing about uh, Paul Atreides at the beginning of each chapter. So you kind of get this uh, history lesson of without butting in on the narrative. Asimov did the same thing. Uh, Herbert and Asimov were also both very influenced by an old history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire by Edward Gibbons. Uh, so if you care about histories from the 18th century, uh, you can you can read that. Uh, I did put in here as the shameless plug for uh, one of the movies that uh, Ryan mentioned earlier, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is the basis for Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2049 is better than the original Blade Runner, so you should absolutely whoa, see it. Whoa, whoa. Don't feel bad about it. Uh, also, uh, George R. R. Martin was also very influenced by Dune, so you should read A Song of Ice and Fire. And then just because of all the uh, veiled drug use, I put The uh, Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley. Nice. Yeah. You think it's veiled? I don't think it's veiled. No, it's not that veiled. <laughs> Starship Troopers, okay. um, fantastic book. I do want to know more. <laughs> um, so fantastic um, other sci-fi that I've really like that like I read at the same time um, I grew up on Redwall which is like straight fantasy mice otters rats fighting each other oh I so love it's those. like you love animals I do you love of course 
fantasy novel, so it's perfect. There's also exactly. worms, though. There are worms. <laughs> um, and then, like, the last sci-fi I remember I read, like, like the next age of me having time to read books was um, World War Z, which got made into a terrible uh, adaptation, which I did not like. The book is far better than the, than the movie. You should definitely read that. And then uh, the next book on my sci-fi list is the Three Body Problem series, which I've heard is fantastic. Nice. I've heard it's yeah. good. Yep. Cool. Nice. Um, Michaela, do you have any? I've got a few. Um, there is a graphic novel adaptation of Dune. So if you like the, yeah. if you like the original, um, I believe there's only one volume at present, but there's going to be more. You could also read The Sword of Shannara, uh, which is Terry Brooks, and it's the first in a series, but uh, Frank Herbert uh, reviewed that book for Terry Brooks and kind of like launched his career. So it's kind of a, a that, fun way to go. That kid that's playing Faye Ralpha, I think was the main guy in the Shannara Chronicles TV show. That's hilarious. So, okay. There you go. So there you go. Um, and then if you want to read into the environmental stuff, uh, kind of the foundational environmental text is called Silent Spring. Oh. Oh, by Rachel Carson? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. It's, it's not sci-fi. It's nonfiction, yeah. but it's if you want to get into the invent- environmental piece of it. Yeah. There you go. Cool, cool. <laughs> I don't have any recommendations. <laughs> That's the great thing about this book, is that it's very close to nonfiction. It just happens to take place 8,000 years in the future. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just today. Well, no, thank you, but I'm glad that you guys like it. Yes. I would like to thank Nick... Because he composed the theme music for the show. So thank you, Nick. Uh, nice especially loved the uh, music that he composed just for our Halloween episodes. So thank you. Those were <laughs> delightful. So fun. Spooky. Yes. yes. Uh, Shop at local businesses. There you go. Make sure to spay and neuter your pets. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Vote early, vote often. Thank you guys both for being on here. We really thank you both. We appreciate your support today and in our lives in general. So. Yeah. Woot. Woot. All right. So in conclusion, happy reading. Happy watching. <laughs> Bye. The acoustics in here are bad. Like how bad we talk and like the way that the Emperor treats House Atreides. We're feeling confident that this thing is on? Mm-hmm. Never but more confident. Lightspeed Dendor Chewie.